Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to this edition of the Cyber Guy Podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And as we progress through what I'm calling Cyber Smart Summer, um, I'm going to make a slight modification to what I'm doing with the podcast over the course of the next, I don't know, couple weeks, couple months. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I had an epiphany this morning to, uh, about this as I was trying to think about what to do from a podcast perspective. And as many of you may or may not know, I'm, I'm working on some side um, business opportunities to help companies be focused on cyber leadership and cybersecurity awareness and then things of that nature. And so it kind of came to me, you know, I've been doing this podcast for over 100 episodes and I've briefly talked about my past and things I did. Obviously, you all know I'm a retired FBI agent, probably retired, you know, I'm a retired teacher and stuff like that, but I've never really given um, my origin story. In other words, how I came to be what I'm doing now and, and my motivations behind that and things like that. So I thought I would start off this second hundred set of podcasts, I guess, with, um, with my own origin story. Now, we want to be here for a good time, not a long time on this podcast. So this will not be every single aspect of my life necessarily, but it'll be kind of the how I got to where I am today at 57 years old. Um, I did go ask ChatGPT to provide an outline to for a person's origin story. Uh, and needless to say, it is pretty lengthy and I will hit pieces of it, but I will not use the whole thing. But what I also want to do, if you're listening to the podcast and supporting the podcast, maybe learning from the podcast and hopefully subscribing to the podcast, pass this to other people. Because what I want to do is find other people and get their origin story. So the next several episodes for, or maybe dozens of episodes, we'll be talking to people, ideally within the tech and cyber world, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It'll be maybe FBI agents as well and things like that and get their origin story. How did you get to be where you are? We all have different life events that led us to where we are today. And oftentimes, probably you've never sat down and thought about, okay, how did I get to where I am today? So I'm hoping that doing this format can lead to other people and and get information and interesting tidbits on why people do what they do and and why they're good at it. Hopefully, I posted this on LinkedIn to try to get some ideas on whether this was a good idea or not. It's needless to say, it's a Sunday. So probably posting on Sunday is not the greatest thing. I'll probably repost it on Monday morning. Um, as well, but um, it's not getting a lot of traction, but again, it's a Sunday. So let's talk my origin story. So as as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, my name is Darren Mott. I was born in um, Malone, New York, which is in upstate New York. And when it's funny, through the years as I've talked about upstate, being from upstate New York, I usually get, oh, Syracuse or oh, Buffalo, usually tell Buffalo. But uh, Buffalo is not upstate New York. It's now it's upstate if you are considering New York City, New York. Um, so it is upstate to that, but it's actually Western New York based on where I grew up. And if you think of New York state as a horse's head, I can't think of another way to describe it. Um, Buffalo is at the nose of the horse's head. Um, Norwood, where I ultimately grew up, so I was born in Malone, but my parents quickly moved um, to Norwood, New York, where I spent my formative years, uh, is right there at the, at the basically the forehead of the horse's head, where the forehead meets the brow, and it's kind of right there in the corner, um, about 25 minutes from the Canadian border up in upstate New York. I was born to uh, a lineman for Niagara Mohawk. Uh, was my father. My mother was a bank teller. She would ultimately become an executive within the bank, a small bank in upstate New York. But um, I had two brothers, uh, two younger brothers. They were four and five years younger than I was. So there was a little bit of a 
age discrepancy there from a school perspective. In other words, we were not in high school together or anything like that. Um, we all had different back, different personalities, obviously. Um, I was more of the nerd. I guess maybe that's a firstborn thing. I really don't know. Um, but I was very good in school. My middle brother, um, was more of the personality. He was friends with everyone, very extroverted, continues to be that way today. He is a college coach in Oklahoma at, at Oklahoma. He is the college soccer coach for the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, so good luck to him in this upcoming season. And my youngest brother, who's a year younger than my middle brother, uh, is an, uh, is a, an engineer for the department of transportation. Um, and he was the athlete of the, of the, of the, of the group. I, Liked sports, tried to be good at sports, never was really very good at sports. Had a very thin frame. Um, continue to have a thin frame today, which is surrounded by a lot of fat. So it's not as thin as I'd like to be, but it is what it is. Uh, so grew up, uh, graduated sixth in my class at high school at Norwood, Norfolk Element, or Nor- Norfolk Central High School in upstate New York. Um, it was a combination of three little villages because the Norwood was not a town. It was not a city. It was a village, the village of Norwood. Uh, there were less than 2,000 people that lived in this little town. Um, but so it was close knit. Everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, I graduated six in my class, ended up going to a small school, a small college near where we grew up, SUNY Potsdam, part of the State University of New York system. Um, with a, And I focused on biology. That's interesting because um, my cyber interest started in 1977. My wife, my wife, my my mother went from being a bank teller to being the programmer at the bank. um, And they had this computer system that they used to keep track of accounts and billing and things like that. I, I, for lack of a better way to explain it, it was this huge honking computer. Uh, I just remember one day going in and she had programmed like this little funky game on this very small monitor she used to do her programming. And I was just fascinated by computers at that point in time. Yet for some reason, when I went to college and even through high school, I didn't really focus on cyber or technology. Now, in the mid-early 80s, there wasn't a big cyber push per se. There weren't home computers or anything like that, really. There was the VIC-20 and the Commodore 64, and there were video games and things like that, and certainly loved video games. Um, but when I was in ninth grade, I had my appendix removed. And for some reason, I was fascinated by the concept of the hospital because I was stayed in the hospital for a week and decided I wanted to be a doctor. So at the age of 14, decided I want to be a doctor. That kind of held with me through my second year of college when I decided I did not want to be a doctor. Um, I had had taken the MCAT, did poorly on it, didn't study for it, wasn't motivated, thought about the future and having to go to college for six, seven, eight more years and do residency and all that kind of stuff and kind of changed my focus um, when I got to college um, after two years of I ended up being a biology major. All right. So I had a lot of friends that were around me that were, that were computer science majors. Computer science was a big um, program at SUNY Potsdam. Um, So I was always around computers anyway, played with their computers and did stuff. Never really learned coding, honestly. Um, And so I ended up going to graduate school in the the University of Connecticut uh, for immunology. In my last two years at college at SUNY Potsdam, I was interested in cellular biology, immunology, things like that were interesting. AIDS was becoming a big thing at the time, so I was very fascinated in being able to work in that field and try to help find a cure for AIDS. I've always grown up having a desire to help others, however that looks. Um, if, If you were a friend of mine, and you needed something, I w- you could call me and you can count on me to help you with that kind of thing. I'm still very close to my friends in, in, in high school, at least a, a core group of about five or six guys. We still communicate regularly. Um, and, but I will say I'm, an intro- I'm introverted. So it's ironic 
that my introversion leads to podcasts and other stuff that I do. But part of that is trying to overcome that introversion to help people and keep them educated and things like that. So that's kind of why I do that. My mother brothers are a little more outgoing than I am. I was more of the introvert. Um, so very shy. Um, and that led to a lot of different things relationship wise, which we won't get into. No one cares about that from this particular story. Um, but anyway, so um, got went to graduate school at the University of Connecticut, but only for a semester. I really did not like it, didn't care much for it, um, and ended up returning home um, and going back to SUNY Potsdam for a year to get an education degree because I figured, well, I could do biology. I can teach high school. Again, I could help serve people by, by teaching high school. Um, I, now, I will say that when I was in college, one thing I didn't note is I was on the radio staff at WRPS, which was Radio Potsdam State. It was a small, it had a, it was, it didn't have an antenna. Everything kind of went through the cable. It's a very long story on how all that worked, but I ultimately rose up through the ranks to be the general manager of the station, loved doing radio, worked for WPDM, WSSNN, no longer exists in upstate New York. It was a small thousand watt station. It was the only thousand watt station in Potsdam. Uh, did weekends and some other stuff that they needed. So I was really kind of into radio. When I dropped out of graduate school, I went to a radio school that was called the um, Connecticut School of Broadcasting, I believe it was called, and did that program, but never really got into radio. Long, long, a lot of reasons that didn't work out um, and ended up going back to get my education degree. And so um, at the conclusion of getting my master's degree in education, um, I moved to Florida because there weren't a lot of teaching jobs in upstate New York. Upstate New York is very odd in the way that it's, well, it's not really odd, but the way it's designed, you have small regional schools based on the towns uh, in which they reside. And so it's kind of configured with a central arching um, leadership thing, but it's kind of dis, it's decentralized. It's weird. Anyway, there weren't a lot of science jobs, but there are plenty of science jobs in Florida. I had a friend of mine, my best friend moved to Florida and he was a teacher down there. So I went down there, lived with him. Ultimately got a teaching job in Seminole County at uh, Seminole High School in Sanford, Florida. Um, there were seven, six or seven schools in this particular, high schools in this particular county. And this was the the um, more challenging of the high schools. So needless to say, they had a need for a science teacher. So ironically got the job primarily, well, probably because I was the only applicant maybe, but um, I also did a magic trick in the middle of my in the middle of my interview because uh, they'd say, Hey, if you come here, what, you know, what are the companies like this? I had like to do a magic clip. I was into magic at the time. Yes, I was a nerd. And obviously being doing magic is very nerdy. So that fits right in my skill set. Um, so I like that, uh, and got the job, uh, and at the, at the opening, um, day of school, when they were introducing the new teachers, the principal made me do the magic trick I did in the interview for the whole faculty. So that was their introduction to me. Um, met my wife on the first day of class, or first day of school there. Um, she didn't become my wife immediately. Obviously, we dated for a while. Mary later, her name was is Kelly. She was a math teacher. Uh, and that started our, our life together. We are celebrating 30 years in three weeks, 30 year anniversary in three weeks. Uh, and so we'll be doing that. Uh, we have two kids, um, a 26-year-old daughter, a 24-year-old son. Catherine and Patrick. So I throw them in there just so you know that I have those. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking to them because that's they're part of the origin story, but they're not a huge part as we get into the more cyber focused portions of the origin story. So I was teaching high school in Sanford, Florida. I taught there for three years. I was the soccer girls, the girls JV soccer coach and the assistant varsity soccer coach for the program. They were the worst 
soccer program in the county. So need to say we did not win a whole lot of games. Uh, within our district, we did okay because we were somewhat of a bigger school compared to the other schools we played against. But um, i be honest with you, I, I understood soccer, but I was not a soccer I, I probably never should have been a soccer coach, quite frankly. It wasn't, wasn't in my wheelhouse. I could figure it out. I, I figured out how to do it. But I wasn't a great way. I wasn't a tactician like my brother. And I learned the basics to kind of be a soccer coach. But that kind of led me to understand I kind of had a leadership skill set. So I was able to lead the players um, because we ended up my last two years at Seminole um, High School. Um, I think we had the best JV team in our district uh, the varsity team, not so much, but we did the best we could. Uh, and then after three years at Sanford High School, my wife had gotten a job at her old high school, Edgewater High School in Orlando, Florida. And I ultimately moved there when they had an opening for a science teacher. So I went there for three years. But at the end of 1998, my wife and I were sitting at home in summer and, and our daughter was a year old. Um, and my wife was pregnant with our second child. And I was had gone through a, uh, I had gained a lot of weight from college to where we were then. I was trying to lose weight. I was exercising a lot and I had lost a lot of weight. Um, but I was like, it, we got into a rut and I remember my wife saying, is this all we're going to be is you're going to go to school and then you're going to come home and you're going to work out and then we're going to go to bed and we're going to redo it again. It wasn't very fast. That's satisfying for her. I certainly understood that. And fate kind of stepped in soon after that. Um, I was teaching summer school at Edgewater High School, and I happened across the webpage for the FBI, and it said accepting applicants for new special agents. And like I said, my I have always had a desire to help people, whatever that looks like, be it a high school teacher, be it help my friends move, be it, you know, I was the, I, at, in college, I was a president of the dorm to try to make things better for people living in the dorm. I always had, I've always had that particular uh, talent or personality trait, I guess you can say with that. Uh, and so I, I thought, I looked at it, I said this, I looked into the future and I said, okay, in 30 years from now, I could retire from teaching at the ripe age of 60, let's say. And then what could I do? At, Cause at 60, I knew I still have years of working capability. What were my options at the end of teaching 30 plus years of high school? And it was, I could be a substitute teacher and really wasn't a lot beyond that. And I'm like, Hmm, that doesn't really sound very fascinating. But if I become a, an FBI agent, then I have a lot more doors open to me once I retire. And as I looked into it, I could retire at 20 years. Um, I was in the age group that the FBI looks for from an agent perspective. And so I threw an application in. I basically, it was an online thing, really. Uh, and I put an application in online, and I got a, a date set to go take the phase one test. I took the phase one test, passed that, got to phase two, which was filling out the application. My application was like 26 pages long because you had to list every job you ever had. Um, and I was persistent, I, which is outside of my personality, because I would communicate with the lady in the Tampa field office who was part of recruiting to just say, hey, I appreciate, you know, the, the opportunity to apply for the FBI. I'm still interested. If there's anything you need from me, let me know. And I continued this almost on a monthly basis for quite a while. So this was August 2018. I put in for the, I took the, I put in the application September of 2018. I took the phase one test October of 2018. I finished my application and then I didn't really hear anything until April of 20. 
I'm sorry, not 2018, sorry, 1998. Pardon me, 1998, this all happened. 1998, and then 19, the April of 1999, I finally got a call saying, hey, we'd like to send you to phase two, which is the second part or third part of the FBI application process. So I went down, um, there's a written part, there's a panel interview, and all, you know, short, long story short, it worked out. I got in the FBI, got a call on the day after Labor Day in 1999 at my desk at Edgewater High School saying, hey, would you still like to be an FBI agent? I said, yes, please, very much so. They said, okay, can you report in 20 days to Quantico? And I said, I can make that happen. So I went immediately, and I remember this vividly, I I I was tutoring a student in chemistry and um, got the call. I finished the tutoring session. Unfortunately, I had the first period of that. That year, I had the first period off. So I had no class that period. Immediately went to the principal's office and told him I have to resign in two weeks because I've got this job. So uh, whether he was happy or not, don't know, don't care. Wasn't my problem. I knew I was leaving to go be an FBI agent. Uh, and so I did that and joined the Bureau. Um, and fortunately, up until this point, we talked about my cyber uh, introduction in 1977. I should say, as I go through this origin story, I don't have this written down. I am winging this off the top of my head. So if you stuck with me for 16 minutes into this, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's only going to go 30 minutes, 45 minutes at the most. Uh, and so I thank you for sticking with me so far. So in 20, 1977 was my first introduction to computers, but I always was interested in them. Again, went to college with people who were in computer science, and so it was tangentially associated to that. When I got married in 1993, my wife and I got married in August 1993, we quickly purchased our first home computer, because now the internet existed, right? So the internet consisted, home computers were much more regular. We got a Hewlett-Packard uh, computer, and I started more of an online journey and, and, and understanding how computers worked, how software worked. And I, I think one of my skills is I can very quickly pick up how any software works and kind of make it work for me. Um, now, can I program software? Hell no. I guarantee you I cannot do that. I am not a programmer. I will say that up front. Um, I can list out the layers of the OSI stack. I can do all the basic things to understand computer, but as far as programming, I'm not programming. Now, will I ultimately take a Python course and learn that? Maybe I will if I have the time, but it's not kind of in my wheelhouse right now. So, um, but always worked with computers, both Macs, because the, the school system had Mac computers, um, app Mac or Apple, Apple, they were Macs or Apple computer, Apple IIe, I believe. Um, and some windows stuff. And I worked windows at home. So I understood both operating systems. I knew how to work, get things to work. And so one of the things I focused on my FBI application was my ability to understand computer software and how it works and being able to, to, to function it and manipulate it as needed, that kind of thing. Uh, and so I think that helped me get into the bureau, made me very competitive to have that skill set because at the time in, in 1999 and, and into the 2000s, there was a, a call by the FBI to find people that were more technically oriented because I think someone at least recognized cyber was going to be a thing. I didn't think it was called cyber at the time, but it was a thing that was coming and they needed more people who understand how, or understood rather how cyber security and, and things like that work. So got in the bureau, um, went through new agent Academy, got assigned to the Charlotte field office, largely because Charlotte in 2000 was one of 16 field offices in the FBI. There's 56 field offices. Only 16 had what were considered cyber squads at the time. They're actually called national infrastructure protection center squad, stupid name, but I guarantee you someone got promoted because of it. But that was the name of the squad. 
There was a new one in Charlotte. Um, so I went to Charlotte and worked on the cyber squad. Doris Gardner, who has been on the podcast, uh, was my first supervisor, great leader. I was really lucky to have her as a boss. Had a pretty good SAC, Chris Swecker. If you watch Fox News, you've probably seen him on there. He is kind of one of the only right, one of the biggest right, right-oriented voices on cable news when it comes to the FBI. Um, there's a bunch of guys on MSNBC and CNN, and I won't give them the honor of saying their names, but you probably know who they are, but they're kind of idiots, but that's a, that's a different podcast for another time. So anyway, had Chris Wecker, did understand cyber, but nice enough fella. Um, and so did that for several years, ended up going into management in 2007. And I was lucky because my wife and kids were very willing to move. We had, we had lived in, we were living in Orlando when we moved to Charlotte. So for my kids, they understood Charlotte is home because my daughter was two. My son was less than a year when we moved to Charlotte. Um, and so in 2009, after spending time at FBI headquarters, um, and I'm leaving out a lot of things we did there, but that's okay. Cause this is, it ultimately gets to an end point. Um, so I went and managed a, my own cyber squad in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, the way we got to that point was, um, at the end of my time at headquarters, the FBI headquarters needed people to come to headquarters. So Robert Mueller took over the FBI in 2001. Uh, he instituted a bunch of different new leadership-related policies, um, and he recognized there weren't enough people at FBI headquarters running national-oriented programs. Uh, and the cyber division was new in 2002. Uh, and so in 2006, they instituted a, a, a very financially beneficial program called the 18-month TDY, which basically meant you instead of having to actually transfer you and your family all the way to FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., from wherever you were, you would go there temporarily on a temporary duty assignment. Um, and basically, they paid for everything. So they paid for my housing. I stayed by myself in Washington, D.C. for a year and a half. They paid for my apartment. They paid for my food. They paid for, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it was a financial benefit in, in a lot of different ways. You got promoted to a GS-14. You got to keep that particular um, designation. And at the end of my 18 months, I had two options. I could go back to Charlotte and just work cases, which would have been fine. Um, but there was also an opportunity to go into managing my own squad. And the Cleveland division had come open uh, and they weren't getting a lot of applicants because let's be honest, it's Cleveland. So, I mean, Cleveland has a reputation, not the off field office, but just the city itself. Uh, and there weren't a lot of cyber focused leaders in the FBI at the time. So the SAC of Cleveland contacted our assistant director in the cyber division. Said, hey, if you know anybody who wants to you know, run a squad, we're looking for someone. So I raised my hand, said I'd be interested. He called me when I was driving back to Charlotte for a weekend because I would spend um, a couple weekends or at least one weekend a month, I would go home to Charlotte. And then one week of, of the year for that 18 months, I was at FBI headquarters. My wife and kids would come up to Washington, D.C., because we were homeschooling at the time. So I raised my hand, said I'd be interested. He called me on my drive home from Charlotte. I remember this vividly. Um, basically asked me to apply. At the end of the day, I was the only applicant at the end of it. So I got the job. So you can say I was skilled enough for it or they just needed somebody and I was good enough. Uh, that's probably more likely the case. But I went to Charlotte, to Cleveland as the supervisory special agent for the cyber squad, squad three in the Cleveland division. Um, and it was a great experience. I had great agents that I worked with. Uh, some of them are now retired. Some of them are now in leadership. Uh, we had a good time. We did a lot of good work. I improved, I think, the, the quality of the program there. The previous supervisor had destroyed it, if not outright killed it. They had got burned on a inspection. So they, they came out poorly in the inspection process. Um, and actually, the guy who was the supervisor, especially there, 
before me was not the one who ruined it. He was actually just a temporary guy filling the spot until I showed up. He was a good guy. He tried to fix it. So I don't remember his name, sadly. Uh, but the, the lady who was there beforehand, she had destroyed it. It was pretty bad. So I went in, um, kind of fixed that. And then the SAC special agent in charge of Cleveland had gone to FBI headquarters to become the assistant director of the counterintelligence division. So he contacted me, said, hey, I'm looking to create a new unit that blends cyber and counterintelligence. This was in 2011. Would you be interested in being the unit chief? Um, now, now let's, let's set back a second. Remember, I was in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, I'm from upstate New York. So the winners in Cleveland, not a big change from the winners in upstate New York. So I wasn't that big. A pro- wasn't that big a problem for me. And my wife and I were starting to look for houses because we were renting in Cleveland because we got burned when we had to sell our house in Charlotte. That's a story for another day. So she is from Florida originally. Remember, I, I, I met her in Florida. That's where she grew up. Uh, so now she's living in Cleveland. So a Florida girl living in Cleveland, probably not going to work out like most would think. Now, I will say, I, I used to tell a joke in presentations that, Someone would say, why, how, well, why would you go from Charlotte? How did you go from Charlotte to Cleveland? And I said, well, I told my wife, hey, um, I have this opportunity to be the supervisor in Cleveland. And she said, hey, that would be great. Let's go there. Because I would always tell the story. When I, and the point I was trying to make is people believe what they read online. So my wife necessarily doesn't do this. But at the time when I was talking in presentations, I like to tell jokes. So I kind of made the point that she believes everything she read online. Uh, at the time, this was in the mid mid to late 2000s. Um, and I said, so she read online. She said, I'd love to go to Cleveland because I read online where Al Gore said because of global warming, Cleveland is the new Miami. So that was a joke, whatever. Uh, it was not the new Miami. It was just as bad winter wise as you might expect. And when I told my wife, hey, I got a call to possibly go to Washington to run this unit. Would you be interested? I was hoping she would say no because I didn't really want to go to FBI headquarters. But she said, yes, let's go there quickly, please. She wanted out of Cleveland just because of the weather. Nothing else. People were nice. Church was nice. It, in the summer, it was beautiful. Um, but Cleveland is what Cleveland is. And so we ultimately, I got that job, went back to FBI headquarters um, and did a bunch of stuff that some of it I liked, some of them I didn't like. Um, I spent a year in inspection division, which about killed me. That's a whole, again, that's another podcast for another day. But ultimately, at the end of it, I was able to transition my time and come back to a field office and run a cyber squad in Birmingham. So I have a friend of mine, one of my best, probably my best friend in the FBI was the cyber supervisor in Birmingham. And he was part of my leadership tree. In other words, I kind of mentored him into leadership. If he's listening to this, hopefully he agrees. He may not, but chances are he won't listen because I I make the joke. He never listens to my podcast anyway. So I, he had called to say, Hey, our CI, we need a new CI supervisor. Would you be interested in coming down here? And I was still I was interested in staying in the counterintelligence world because I was still blending my cyber skills and my counterintelligence skills because I recognize that nation state actors are much more is a, is a much bigger problem than criminal actors. Now, criminal actors are still bad. I, I don't I'm not trying to denigrate one way or the other. I'm just saying nation state actors have a bigger presence and are better at what they do. And it's a lot harder to mitigate their cyber actions. So I knew that if I went to if I got the job in Birmingham that I would get to work with my friend and I would still be able to keep some of my cyber skills and cause I could blend cyber into my new counterintelligence squad. Unfortunately I had gotten the counterintelligence job because the previous supervisor had 
done a less than perfect job with the counterintelligence squad. They had bombed a, an, intel, an inspection again, just like kind of in Cleveland. Uh, and so uh, this one, there were 10 people that put in for it. And I did get, I got the job, moved to Charlotte. And I, I'm sorry, moved to Birmingham. And actually the Huntsville resident agency is where the counterintelligence squad was, which was fortunate for me because Huntsville is probably the best city, in my opinion, in Alabama, simply because of its location, um, the way the infrastructure is generated and uh, the work that's here because the Redstone Arsenal is located in Huntsville. It is where the U.S. Army does all of its missile creation and stuff like that. The Saturn V rocket was developed here. I mean, there's a lot of good history for the Huntsville area. So I was lucky to get that job. And that's where I finished my career as the counterintelligence supervisor and the Office of Private Sector Outreach Coordinator. So that was a new thing that the Bureau brought in in um, the mid uh, when it was 2016, somewhere 2016, 2017, somewhere in that range came this office of private sector where they tried to improve the relationship between the FBI and the private sector. Right. So they did that. And Birmingham being a small office, they didn't have a lot of people who could do that kind of thing. So I kind of raised my hand and said, I'll do that as well. Cause I love to do presentations. I love to go out. I, again, if you remember, I said, I'm an introvert. I am certainly an introvert. There's a lot of things in my life that make me very introverted. Uh, this origin story is very, is very, is honestly a very quick paced presentation of my life events, but I recognize what I am is, which is an introvert, but I love to do presentations. I love to get in front of groups and talk about cyber issues and cyber threats and counterintelligence and things like that. Things that can help people stay protected in this crazy world that we now live in. So I took that responsibility. So I did a lot of present, talked to hundreds and hundreds of groups and organizations, probably talked to several tens of thousands of people over the course of my whole career. I did a lot of outreach in Cleveland as well. Did a lot of outreach. Didn't do a lot of outreach when I was at headquarters the second time. But when I went back to Birmingham, came back to Birmingham as a supervisor, I was able to leverage that capability and talk to a lot of companies about the cyber threat and try to help keep them protected. Got my master's degree during this time in cybersecurity policy and risk analysis. So again, not technically oriented, but still very important uh, for what companies need to do. And I was fortunate that I spent the last Oh, 14 years of my FBI career being a supervisor, being in leadership. Not that necessarily that the FBI does a great job training leaders. It does not. If you look at certain leadership in the FBI, it's just people that raise their hand and were able to basically damage their family to do what they did. Now, I'm not saying it's bad for everybody. If you want to be a, an SES or in the FBI, God bless you. Go forth and conquer if you can. But please, for God's sake, be a good leader. I dealt with plenty of SESers. These are senior executive service. These are the high level ranking people in the FBI and in the government. They're just freaking idiots, honestly. Um, they should never lead people. Um, they should never be seen by public. Uh, and I could go on and on. I should really have a podcast that just goes into that. But anyway, so I saw a lot of bad leadership would help me improve my leadership capabilities. And my goal was to help the people I worked with wherever it was, be it in Cleveland, be it FBI headquarters, be it in Birmingham and Huntsville, help people recognize their skill set, focus on what they do well and help them to do those things well, even better. And I think I've done a pretty good job. I have a reasonable, um, leadership tree that still exists within the FBI. I have guys that still contact me to get my opinion on, on jobs within the bureau as they rise up through the ranks. So I appreciate those guys who contact me and we talk, I help them generate 
or write at least how they do the KSA forms so they can get better at those kind of things. So I continue to do that. Uh, and so I was fortunate to have that capability. I think leadership is a skill set that I have. So in 2019, I retired from the FBI. I, I reached my 20 years and I knew that um, I wanted to go out in the private sector. I had done pretty much all I could do in the FBI. And actually, the last three, four months of my career, I had to step down as a supervisor simply because of a stupid rule called seven up and out. You can only do seven years as a field supervisor, and then you have to either promote, get promoted or step down. And getting promoted meant leaving Huntsville, and that wasn't going to happen this time around. Again, my, pa- my family had moved four times already from Orlando to Charlotte to D.C., to Huntsville. And then in that time, there was a year and a half where I was not home. So we were not doing that again. We weren't moving back. It would have been moving to DC and that wasn't going to happen. So I stepped down instead, knowing that within four months I would retire and that was fine. So I did retire, got hired by a clear defense contractor to work on a government contract that creates a cybersecurity operation center that helps to, helps, um, small and medium businesses improve their cybersecurity. So that is my main gig now. Uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of depth on that simply because I don't know if they would appreciate that. So if you want to know who that is, you can go on my LinkedIn. You can find who I work for, which is fine. Um, But that's what they do. So in my free time, what I've done now is try to take, okay, so let's remember prior to being an FBI agent, I was a high school teacher. So how can I take education and cybersecurity and blend those two things together? And that was kind of my first role in this post-bureau job. But there's a lot of companies outside of the defense industrial base that need these skills as well. So I'm trying to come up with ways outside of my main job. So I do it on weekends and at nights that can help provide cybersecurity leaders. And the focus now, as I've looked through all of this, so I've got I've, this has all got me to here I am today. And I recognize that a lot of companies, a lot of individuals, a lot of people, a lot of everywhere need understanding of how to protect themselves from the cyber threats that are out there from a business perspective. It's how do you, how is your cyber leadership? A lot of companies I've seen just don't have cyber leadership, can't afford it. Um, or they don't know how to look for it or they can't find it. Now, cybersecurity and it are not the same thing. They're certainly integrated, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Those are two separate entities. So from a cybersecurity leadership perspective, a lot of companies are lacking that, which is why they become victims of cyber bad actors from a personal standpoint. A lot of people become victims again, because no one is helping them to understand what the threats are that are targeting them. So to that end, I've come up with a couple different programs I'm working on that help both, both areas. So I've looked at that and said, okay, I want to, I want to continue to help people. So that is my goal. How do I help people? How do I help your business? How do I help your friend's business? How do I help your mother? How do I help your grandmother? People certainly need to understand the cyber threats that are out there. So I'm in the process of, of creating a bunch of different stuff, to trying to, to kind of on my side, on the side to work with companies to help them build their cyber leadership capabilities. Now, it doesn't mean it's a full-time, it's not a full-time, this is part-time stuff that I'll do in my free time and on weekends that helps companies look at their, give them a risk assessment. And it's not, and we can talk risk assessments all day long. There's a lot of different frameworks you can use for that. I've created my own framework, which basically takes 10 specific areas and looks at those initially because most companies aren't doing anything from a risk assessment when it comes to cyber security and cyber risks. So we'll look at those things and hopefully get a company to a point where they understand what they have. Are they protecting it? If not, how do they protect it? Um, create policies that will make everybody in the company understand how to be safer. 
and give awareness training so they can be better cyber aware. So that's from a business perspective. From a personal perspective, I'm developing a bunch of different courses to try to just kind of create and make available online, be it how to protect seniors online. Actually, when I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to go into recording some of those videos for that program. How to protect your kids online, because parents, how do you protect your kids? As threats change, we need to stay on top of that. And these are programs that will be modified and changed and and added to going forward. And if you were to purchase the pro- that program, you would have access to all those changes as they go forward. So you could stay on top of what the cyber threats are. I've also actually created a how to get in the FBI class that I kind of have to put together. I have the outline for it. I just got to create the videos and make it available online. So a lot of things I'm doing on my free time and on my weekends. And in addition to the podcast uh, to do that, I do like pickleball. So those who know me know I, I love pickleball. So I play that all the time. Um, and I work out and ride my Peloton and that kind of thing. So that really, at the end of the day, I made this in under 40 minutes. So that's good. That is my general origin story. Is there more to my story? Sure. But no one wants to be here for five hours listening to that. So this is kind of the high, the high level issue of my origin story, where I am today. So where, where am I today? I am looking at the cyber environment and recognize that businesses and people need to protect themselves from all the bad stuff that's going on out there. And they need people like myself. I'll be honest. I'm going to be, I'm going to be proud of myself. I'm going to be like myself that can help them understand what those are. Um, and hopefully this podcast can get out to people to say, Hey, I want to ask that guy that question. So I'm going to probably over the course of the next couple months, start creating some online webinars to help increase awareness, help keep people get into my side business. I'll be honest. I'm looking to do this side business thing. I'm working with some other friends on some other stuff. So hopefully we can get to that as well. Um, because again, my goal what has created me, what has gotten me from, from point A to point B is a passion for education and a passion for cybersecurity, taking those two things together. And my third passion is helping people. So those are my three things, helping people, education, cybersecurity. So blending those three things together to keep people safe online so they can understand the threats targeting them, they can assess their risk, and they can proceed wisely. With that, I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Darren Mott origin story. If you found it interesting, let me know. If you found it boring, let me know that too, as well. You can email me at any time, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, at thecyberguy.com. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. That email is also in the show notes, so you can see that there. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content on LinkedIn probably this week. I'll probably be an origin story week kind of thing. Focusing on that as well. If you know someone who would be interested in providing their own origin story, this podcast over the course of the next month or so or several months is going to be talking to people about their own origin stories because we all have stories to tell and we can all learn from those origin stories. Know that knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk and proceed wisely. And if you get a little cyber smarter, you'll get a whole lot cyber safer. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. I look forward to talking to anybody who's so interested in contacting me.